In this shortcast, Jenny McNulty describes the management of pregnancy in a patient with long-chain 3-hydroxyacyl-CoA dehydrogenase deficiency, published in April 2022. Long-chain 3-hydroxy-CoA dehydrogenase deficiency, or LCHAD, is a rare mitochondrial defect of beta-oxidation of long-chain fatty acids. And patients present generally with muscle pain, hypotonia, peripheral neuropathy, cardiomyopathy, recurrent rhabdomyolysis, and sudden death. Management of LCHAD really hinges on dietary interventions to prevent prolonged fasting and decrease energy production from long-chain fatty acids. So to compensate for the reduction in long-chain fats, we include medium-chain triglycerides. There is very little written in the literature about the management of LCHAD during pregnancy. So when presented with a pregnancy in a LCHAD female patient, we really had to scramble to, to find information ourselves. And we, we did base a lot of our management around the, the one case report that was available in the literature. And so our paper uh, describes um, our management of this pregnancy, which had a successful outcome. And I suppose this involved adjustments throughout the trimesters to try and keep up with the changing demands uh, throughout the pregnancy. Alterations in maternal lipid metabolism during pregnancy can be divided into an anabolic phase during the first two trimesters and a catabolic phase in the third trimester with accelerated breakdown of fat. So we describe a 30-year-old female with known LCHAD. She had a very complex medical background and um, presenting at five weeks of age. And throughout her clinical course, she had recurrent acute metabolic decompensations at any times of intercurrent illness. And so she had a lot of, of secondary complications at the time when she became pregnant. These included neuropathy, retinopathy, cardiomyopathy, and she had recurrent rhabdomyolysis. Preconceptionally, she had been advised on the risks of pregnancy, but she had decided to proceed. So prior to pregnancy, her dietary management was very much in accordance with the international guidelines for, for LCHAD. We also had her on modified cornstarch, which is kind of controversial, but she seemed to have improvement in, in how she felt when, when she was taking it to support her overnight fast. And, and then we used just an emergency management plan for any times of illness. Throughout the first trimester, we didn't really have cause to make many changes to her diet. We were monitoring her essential fatty acid profiles and her fat-soluble vitamins and other vitamin and mineral markers. And luckily, she had no nausea or vomiting that required treatment at that early stage. We based any dietary adjustments on fortnightly weights. But, you know, by and large, her diet it was just kept within the, the target treatment ranges. We did just have to make some adjustments to her essential fats to increase her, her DHA and EPA. Into trimester two, then we began to see the expected weight gain of about a half a kilo per week, which was excellent. And we adjusted requirements based on that. We did try and increase her protein intake and that involved including extra skim milk powder to try and achieve a 15% protein energy. And then her MCT supplementation was also increased to achieve 20% of total energy. And that was based on other reports that we'd read on the improvement of exercise tolerance and cardiac functioning with 
MCT supplementation. Any intermittent CK um, increases, we tried to manage with the addition of extra glucose polymers. She was showing deficiency in her linoleic and eicosapentaenoic uh, fatty acids and that we treated with increase in her walnut oil. I suppose from an obstetric perspective, she was having a serial growth ultrasounds throughout the second trimester and there was no abnormalities detected um, and the fetal weight was very good at the 75th percentile. One of the biggest uh, challenges was trying to manage this case across both an adult metabolic service and a obstetric service that weren't under the one roof. Uh, So we had many MDT discussions over Zoom to start to plan for the delivery of the baby. And, you know, from a dietetic perspective, we discussed breastfeeding and there was no known contraindications to breastfeeding, but it wasn't something mum was overly keen on doing. Coming into the third trimester then, this was the the time when we expected to kind of see that there would be increasing metabolic demands and therefore a higher risk of decompensation. So we increased the frequency of her monitoring so we would see her every week and prophylactic low molecular heparin was prescribed. Her blood monitoring went to actually twice weekly and from 30 weeks at that point, she was meeting her calorie requirements and her weight gain was sufficient. We rechecked her fat-soluble vitamins and her vitamin A was low despite supplementation. But this was felt that the hemodilution was probably the reason for the decrease. So throughout the pregnancy, we kept her long chain fat in and around 10% of total energy, medium chain fat went from kind of 15 at the the beginning of pregnancy up to about 20% towards the end. And as I said, the the protein intake increased from 13 to 16.5% by by trimester three. Her carbohydrate then was was between kind of 50 and 60% of total energy throughout We did start to see a significant increase in her CK at the 36-week mark, but she had no discoloration of urine or significant muscle symptoms at that point, but it was the trigger to admit her to the maternity hospital for um, monitoring and stabilisation of that CK in preparation for delivery. The antenatal corticosteroids were also administered for fetal lung maturation. The CK was initially treated with cessation of long chain fat and high doses of glucose polymer two to three hourly and that we began to use IV dextrose to keep on top of the CK and controlled any associated hyperglycemia with sliding scale insulin. And then the delivery was planned with our team and the maternity hospital in advance of the birth and a planned section at 37 weeks was what was decided. The diet throughout that, we had again advised a reduction of long chain fat on the day before and day of delivery with a gradual return to normal long chain fat postpartum and increased energy was provided through the use of glucose polymers on the days prior to and after the delivery. And then dextrose 15 with appropriate electrolyte supplementation was used during the delivery and immediate recovery period. MCT supplementation was maintained throughout using the usual dietary plan. The child was born at 3.1 kilos and the cesarean section was uncomplicated. Postnatally, the infant stayed on the ward with mum and underwent serial prefeed screening for hypoglycemia and has remained very well. So there's very limited data on the management of pregnancies in patients with LCHAD. 
the first published information on the management of pregnancy was on a patient with the same genotype as our patient, homozygous for G1528C. The biggest risk that we were, were trying to avoid was the acute fatty liver of pregnancy, AFLP, um, as it's a potentially life-threatening disorder. And it, it tends to present in the third trimester or early postpartum period. The risk of AFLP in a mother with LCHAD is higher if the mother is a carrier and the fetus is affected rather than if the mother had LCHAD or the fetus was a carrier. So AFLP and HELP were considered a potential complication in our patient. Apart from deranged liver enzymes, no further deterioration in liver function or evidence of coagulopathy was seen in our patient. So she had had four acute hospital admissions in the four years preceding her pregnancy with elevated CK levels throughout. And I think this is one of the most interesting findings was that we had looked at the CK levels pre-pregnancy in those four years prior and then compared them to her CK throughout the pregnancy. And there was a really significant improvement in her CK throughout and even in the postpartum phase. And I suppose this was quite a novel uh, finding and she couldn't understand why we were getting so excited about her CK levels because they were the best that she had experienced in, in such a long time. So getting to evaluate that after the pregnancy was was really interesting. And uh, I suppose we were looking for reasons for this and I suppose considering the impact in a PKU pregnancy and, and the impact it has on blood phenylalanine levels. We also looked at the papers written about VLCAD pregnancies and considered whether or not it could have been attributed to increased fatty acid oxidation by placenta. Finally, normal vaginal birth is a reasonable approach, but a cesarean section was performed just to, I suppose, remove any extra risks for this mum as she already had underlying health issues. And in terms of the dietary management, it required a, a lot of dietary intervention and monitoring and adjustment, but it just shows the, the really important role a dietitian plays in the management of LCHAD and in particular during pregnancy. So if you'd like to hear more about the paper, you can just click on the link in, at the end of the podcast. And uh, thank you for listening. 